Hi, welcome to At The Source. Today's guest is Tori True, a London-based food blogger who decided to leave an all-encompassing career in finance 11 years ago to spend more quality time with her two daughters. A year later, she embarked on her food blogging adventures and now she's just released her first cookbook, Chili and Mint, which is filled with Indian recipes from a UK kitchen and it's absolutely beautiful. Pages shine with vibrant, bright photography and they just make you want to dive straight in and cook every recipe you see. I first came across Tori on Instagram, I think a couple of years ago now, and loved her vibrant coloured posts of food and family-oriented descriptions. And through blogger groups and WhatsApp chats, that's really hard to say. (laughs) 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 Through blogger groups and WhatsApp chats, we've become friends and I'm really excited to have her on the podcast today. Hi Tori, thank you for joining me. Hi Alex, thank you for having me. Managed to get my mouth around the WhatsApp (laughs) chats. That's uh, (laughs) quite tricky. Yeah, tongue, tongue twister. Tongue yeah, twister. absolutely. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. I guess first things first, um, do you want to tell me and the audience a little bit about yourself? Um, have you always been a keen cook? Okay, so um, I, as you know, Tory True, and um, I'm based in London. I'm married and have two children who are a teen and a tween now, two daughters. And um, to answer the, the second bit first, am I have I always been a keen cook? cook. I think keen cook and keen eater probably go hand in hand and the answer is yes. So um, I have always liked food like from the get-go. I've never been on a diet in my life. My family as in the ones I grew up with as opposed to my my children now and, and husband who are also keen cooks and keen eaters but my family when I grew up we were all very much into food and cooking and homemade food. We didn't really go out to that many restaurants, if I'm honest. I mean, I don't, I don't think people did so much then. We'd a, occasional treat, we'd go out to a restaurant here and there. Otherwise, it was all home-cooked food. And um, we did have roasts every Sunday. So I've slightly OD'd on roasts every Sunday. But um, yeah, I've I've always enjoyed um, the both the cooking and the sort of the, the, the sort of almost tactile, you know, ness of cooking, you know, with your hands and preparing things and making things. But also I think, and this goes for my family, is that we've always used food because it sort of transports you to foreign foreign lands. And um, I um, grew up sort of hearing a lot about my parents' time um, when they grew in their 20s because they used to live in Africa. And then they traveled all the way through um, the whole of the African continent and um, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Syria, Lebanon, uh, India, and Nepal, and all these amazing travels. And we'd hear about what they ate and the people they met and all these different things. And I think it's sort of, we always want to get, oh, well, that, you know, let's try cooking X and Y from this country, even from a long time ago. Um, and then that's sort of grown over, over the years. And even with my siblings now, we're all massively, massively foodie. And wherever, whenever we go on, we typically choose somewhere to go on holiday where the food is good or interesting. So that's quite a long winded answer to say yes keen cook keen eater um but now i am um as you mentioned um i have a food blog although that's taken sort of a bit of a backseat at the moment if i'm honest um 
And I have a um, cookbook that's just come out uh, at the end of November, which is very exciting. And I teach Indian cooking to a wide range of people, both um, live. I've done a few live recently and um, on Zoom as well. Um, And then I do a bit of food photography, food writing, and just interesting things that come across my radar, I suppose. Ah, oh, all sounds so good. Such a lovely way to spend your days. And I totally agree with the the food kind of transporting you back to places that you've traveled and, and been. And fantastic that your parents traveled all over the world back when people weren't traveling as much as they have done in kind of our generations yeah. as well. Yeah. It's really exciting. They, they were definitely sort of ahead of their time, I suppose, in, in mm. that sense. And um, also coupled I suppose and this sort of feed us into my whole Indian thing is my grandmother worked for um uh I'm gonna say Indian High Commission or Indian Embassy um for the whole of her life pretty much as well so she was used to having you know curries in the week at work and um her great 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 friend grew up in India who became my mother's godmother so whenever we went to her house she would sort of feed us like effectively like an Indian would although she is not of Indian origin so we've always had a lot of chat and talk about um uh, other countries and food from other countries um and obviously growing up whilst um we ate a lot of interesting food. We have, as children, we didn't really go on particularly extravagant holidays abroad uh, to far off places, let's put it that way, like our parents had been. So we kind of lived slightly vicariously through their travels and hearing. And I think that also planted the seed in my my two siblings and myself to also want to go and explore the world, go and see different cultures, see different people, try different cuisines and just sort of branch out from where we grew up. But it, yeah, it's good. We love hearing it and seeing the photos as well. Because mm. um, yeah, my parents looked quite unusual because my father has bright red hair and a big red, he had a, he's gone gray now, obviously, but a, a red, red beard. And um, so this is like red headed, red bearded, pale, <laughs> pale skin, freckled man. And my mother, who is sort of tall, lanky, very long, thick, blonde hair, sort of hottie going around, <laughs> um, yeah, all the different African countries and stuff in India and seeing photos of them. And they, they look quite characterful, <laughs> let's say. But um, yeah, that's very cool. So we talked about the fact that you um, you gave up a, a really big and busy career in finance to uh, look after your daughters. And actually, um, not long after that, you you started blogging. So it would be quite nice, I think, to hear a little bit about that time. You know, you were giving up a job that you love. Yes. That must have been quite tricky on the one hand. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, so I worked, um, it's always people are sort of unsure exactly what this entails exactly, but I worked as a headhunter uh, in finance for um, 12 years and um, I did love it very much. It was a, a fantastic um, bunch of people that I worked with. I enjoyed the clients that I came into contact with. It was it was very interesting, but it's very sort of fast paced. You have to have a lot of energy and it's quite go, go, go. And it, it you know, it was very, very long hours, which is fine. Um in your 20s before you have children um and then after i had my first child um i kind of moved to a slightly different area which meant i didn't have to do so much traveling because i used to have to travel quite a lot with work and then after um three and a half years or whatever i became pregnant again and i just thought you know what um 
there's a time and a place for things. And I think I almost need to take a bit of a halt on this because you can always just think, oh, just another year, just another year, keep on doing it. But then, you know, your children grow up and then you haven't really been around. And I didn't really want to outsource too much childcare for them. I wanted to sort of be a little bit more hands-on and I was able to do that. Um, so um, I sort of put put that to one side and have kept in touch with a lot of the people I, I work with. They're great friends to this day and many of them have been hugely supportive with my next sort of career. Um, and um, after sort of a year, just under a year, I thought, you know what? I want to set up a blog and it, it blogging, what was it sort of 11 years ago? Wasn't it, it was happening, but it wasn't as sort of much as it, as it became five, six years ago. Um, so I thought, you know, I'll write a, write a mm. blog and initially it focused very much on, um, cause friends kept saying, Oh, would you show me how to do X or Y recipe? And I thought, you know what, instead of always having to sort of write out or say, you know, I'm just going to put it up on a website and then I can get, Oh, just check my website. They're the recipes. And it was just sort of, I wanted to put, um, recipes, which were sort of global recipes, recipes from all around the world that I enjoy cooking, um, very much home cooking and trialing my sort of forays into food and travel, also travel because travel's sort of hand in hand with food for me and see where that goes. And it was, it's just a hobby and it's always really been um, more of a hobby than a sort of huge money spinner and a thing like that. So I started um, doing that and I found it was actually really good fun. And then you make a lot of um, sort of uh, friends across other blogging spheres as well. And you check out their blogs and so forth. And then from that, various commissions um, came in with regards to writing for um, um, various articles here, there and over the years. And um, and then people started wanting me to talk about their products and depending what they were, I'm happy to include them now and again. Um, and it sort of grew from that. So that's how the sort of the whole blogging started and me sort of saying farewell to the city. Although um, it's always one of those things that I don't, I, you know, I think life is slightly about chapters. It's quite nice to have mm. different chapters in your life with what you do. So, um, you know, whilst I've left that chapter and it was a great one, I'm, I'm very much enjoying this new chapter. And I'm sure I'll have other chapters of different things and different pursuits as time goes on. Mm, I really like that idea of life being about chapters. I, I've not thought about it like that before, but I think I'll take that and um, use that as my own yeah, <laughs> as well. It's, it's nice. Obviously, your blog has been running for uh, quite a while now and you have all these different recipes. And um, and I think we forget about the travel side of things because for the last 18 months or so, it's just not been a thing that many of us have been no. able to do. No, no. But, more and more you have written about Indian food and Indian food is the topic for your book. So you touched mm. on it a little bit in the intro about your your family connections, but where do you, where did your passion for Indian food come from? The actual seed, I think probably from growing up and hearing from my my grandmother, um, my mother's godmother, as I say, my parents' travels for sure. Um I I myself actually have some Anglo-Indian cousins, blood cousins myself. So some of my relatives are Anglo-Indian, not excluding my husband, do you see what I mean? So I've I've sort of got echoes of things going on in the background there. Um and so I, I grew up in well, effectively I was growing up in the eighties, eighties kid. And um you would have every, you know, there was Indian restaurants around. I do distinctly remembering my having my first Indian takeout and I must have 
I don't know, it must be about 11 or 12 for my birthday. And I used to think I like spicy food. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know, I'll order a really spicy dish. And I think, I don't know, what was it? Something like a vindaloo or something. Oh my God, it absolutely blew my head off. I was like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. And, but you know, the, the foods, the Indian food that we were given then was very much you know, in a sauce of whatever different meat or fish, whatever, they just put it in that same sauce. So it was still delicious. And I thought it was terribly exotic. But the other thing, actually, I've always sort of had an interest in the exotic and I suppose Indian is it? So my grandfather um, used to spend half the year in South Africa and half the year in the UK, and we'd always drop him off at the airport. I used to remember as a child, a quite young child, absolutely loving getting to Gatwick or Heathrow and seeing everyone in their saris and everyone coming off the planes and thinking, "Oh my goodness, one day I want to go there." It looks really interesting. Do you know what I mean? This is from a child, quite a young age, and I hadn't even been on a plane then. You know, I never went, never went on a plane. I was that young. So I think I've always sort of had a slight sort of um, feel for the exotic. And um, and then, yeah, so then I sort of had a little bit of Indian food. And then obviously my mother cooked what I would call, it was a curry, but it's more, you know, the curries that our mothers cooked, yeah, back in the sort of 80s. So I think they had maybe some maybe cashew nuts in it and maybe some raisins, you know, all this and almonds, slithered almonds, all that sort of stuff. Perfectly nice, but mm. not not at all authentic. Um, but there was a bit of turmeric powder. There was probably a bit of cumin powder, maybe a bit of cinnamon or something in it. So it, it still tasted nice. And then it wasn't really until um, university I had various... Um, Indian friends and some of them I would try some of their food and things like that and then obviously I met my husband whilst I was at university university we're at different universities but whilst we're at university and um so super super young and then whilst he wasn't cooking sort of Indian food there I I was exposed to meeting his family and that's when it all kick-started because there's no better way to be sort of absorbed into a family or welcomed than if you really take a keen interest in their food because if you take interest Mm -hmm. in their food you take an interest in their culture and so um I mean that was a natural thing that wasn't hard for me to do that I would go and spend time in the kitchen Mm. with his mother watching going seeing what would would happen and she'd bring out these amazing dishes always I was like right I've got to learn how to cook all this and so it was it was it was sort of an easy graduation on from there. Um, oh, just thinking about the um, the various boyfriends, mums over the years and the, the sad things that have come out of their kitchens. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, no, I think you're going to say something really lovely. The wonderful no. things that came out of their kitchens. But no, sad. Okay. Dave's <laughs> mum is, is a great cook. She she is um, a queen of the Sunday roast. So. Oh, good. I can't, I can't complain with that where I've ended up but I I can't say that yeah some of my earlier boyfriends from uni time I I wasn't as lucky as you as you were there I don't think (laughs) yeah no it really really kind of yeah it does it does depend I did I did uh, do remember sort of various um friends from my school age and I remember one specific one there her mother literally never or father never cooked it was all microwave meals oh literally frozen frozen food the whole time I remember thinking hmm it's unusual. Even then, I thought I was a little unusual. But it's quite difficult when you come from a family because my I grew up in a similar situation in that my mum and dad both love cooking, and we grew up eating lots of different things. And then you'd kind of go to your school friend's house, and it'd be chicken dippers and yeah waffles yeah, yeah, yeah. um actually i remember coming home this is completely off topic we will talk about the cookbook coming home and um telling my mum that i'd had the bernard matthews chicken oh my Kiev God. Balls. 
and just being so excited <laughs> by these chicken kibbles because it wasn't something that we'd ever had at home. And I did try them a few years later, probably like in my 20s, and they're really not very nice. Oh, no. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, so... Right. Let's talk about the book. So, so your cookbook is out, Chili and Mint. Um, I'd love to hear about the whole process from start to finish because it just, it's such a big achievement to have started with nothing and then suddenly have this beautiful book. So how long did it take? Where do we start? Okay. Okay. So this, so from literally probably about 10 years ago, I thought I wanted to do a cookbook, but obviously you can't just go, I want to do a cookbook. You've got to actually have things uh all, you've got to have recipes you've got to have a story it's got to sort of take shape and that was just a seed okay that was just seed of an idea and then obviously um from about eight years ago I started teaching Indian cooking um and so that was a great way for me to begin to formulate all my recipes get everything you know together and um from doing many many um, classes, I then got in, uh, immediate feedback from people about, you know, how much they enjoyed them and, you know, how much they liked the recipes and that they're cooking them at home, um, et cetera, et cetera. And as time went by, I then had a number of people go, you should really do a cookbook. Can you put these in a cookbook? You mm-hmm. know, and I was I'm thinking, you know, that's, and that's from people I, I didn't know. So they didn't have to say that, if you know what I mean. So they'd, they'd heard about my course yeah. and come along on it. Um, and then um, over lockdown, I've, I took my classes online to Zoom. And instead of just doing Indian cooking classes on Zoom, I actually sent the spices and or maybe the fresh chilies or rampa, which is pandan leaves, to everybody if they're based in the UK and to make it easier for people. And then I was able to go through even more of my recipes and I get immediate feedback. And I can also watch and see how people found the recipes, how easy or not they found them and whether they needed tweaking at all. Um, so in a way, a lot of those lovely people over the last couple of years have been, um, guinea pigs is the wrong word, but I could see exactly how well they're mm. doing it. And this is from the youngest person came on who did it brilliantly. It was 15 years old and the oldest is definitely late 80s. So I could see a wide age group on abilities and levels and everything on how they got on. So, um, so I had a lot of recipes ready and that I have tested many, 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 many times. Um, but obviously when you do a cookbook, you really need to have over a hundred, but I had so many ready that I don't teach in my classes or on zoom for various reasons. So I Mm. had quite a number there. So, to answer your question, how it all came together, what I did first of all, and if anyone's listening and is interested, I, I really would sort of suggest a few things. So number one is um, I formulated everything together. So almost like if you've ever done a pitch, I'm sure many people, you've done a pitch for a presentation pitch, yeah? So you want to sort of say, you know, what is it about your cookbook? What is it about you? What's your background? What's your focus? Who else is out there doing something similar? Who's your target audience? What's the level of the recipes? All this kind of thing. And and examples of the recipes, example of the chapters. And I put together a pitch book and um, I had it done really, really well with visuals and photographs and so you can have a real feel of how it looks and you know how I wanted it to be so I had a very clear vision on what I wanted it to look like and the kind of book I wanted it to be and um so I put together I mean I don't know if everyone does this I put a 30 page document together (laughs) and um I use that as my pitch book so that um 
uh, so to begin with, I started to reach out to agents. So in the whole publishing world, um, you can do things many ways, but if you, sometimes people go down the agent route and the agent then represents you and will then get it into various publishers. So I started talking to various people from quite a few years ago, actually, to be honest. And uh, to cut a long story short, um, I made the decision that a lot of the agents sat on my pitch for months and then would come back and go, actually, you know, it's not, you know, not, not my thing or it's not, not the right time or X, Y, Z, all these different myriad of reasons. And I thought, you know, I'm going to be really old by the time I get this cookbook done if I don't just sort of grab the ball by the horns and go for <laughs> it. And whilst quite a few of them go, oh, whatever you do, don't go to a publisher directly. Don't ever do that. You'll, you'll muddy the waters for us. Just always just find an agent. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to, in my last life, I was totally happy to pick up the phone and and speak to someone I've never spoken to and pitch myself. So I thought I'm going to do that. So I started literally reaching out to a few smaller publishers who I thought might be willing and brave enough to take me on as I'm not a celebrity and haven't got a million followers on Instagram. So um, reached out to a couple. And um, one of the early ones I reached out to was the company Meze, um, and literally from the get-go, we got each other. We understood each other. They were so straightforward. And um, it all sort of fell into place very, very quickly. And they're the ones that I've gone with. And um, they were just a, a very straightforward mm. bunch. They liked my proposal. They understood. And you know how sometimes everything is aligned and it just works. And it just happened. It just happened with with them. Yeah. Um, and yeah. the fact that they're quite small, um, they've they've won awards for sort of best cookbook publisher for uh, smaller publishers in the past. Um, you know, that's their bread and butter is this is cookbooks. Um, I thought actually I'm going to be in good hands. And I also like the fact that you obviously you've got quite a wide gambit of publishers. You've got the the sort of big traditional publishers who you know will spit out many, many books each year. And then you have at the other end, you have self-publishers who help people self-publish. Um, and then Mezzi kind of falls in the middle in that they're not a self-publisher and they're not a traditional publisher. They, um, they, they have an interest in the book and they obviously put money into the book to make it happen. But also I have put a little bit of money in it as well to, um, so it's in both our interests. So with a self-publisher, you, you would just do the whole thing and then I guess they don't care if it, if it flies or not. What I wanted to have is more of a partnership. So that is what I've had with them because it's in their interest that it flies and, and it's in my interest that it flies. But it also meant that rather than just having um, an idea and then that idea taken to with with one of the traditional publishers and they change what I want and how I envisioned it um Meze, I was able to collaborate much much more and that was through every single stage it was a real sort of team effort from everyone and me as an individual and a person and my friends will tell you this as well I'm, I'm far more I work better in that in that way if I can collaborate as well mm. So, um, yeah. so you ended up with something that was your vision that you've yeah. had for 10 years rather than yeah. 
kind of a, a large publisher coming in and saying, we'll change this, we'll change yeah. that, we'll change that. And if you want to be published, that's what yeah. we've got I to mean, do. I mean, not to say that they all do that, but I have had a few people I know who have gone down that route and then have not been so happy with the outcome of the final product. And that was always a slight fear in my mind. Um, so that's also why I made sure that my pitch, it was very clear on the sort of aesthetics and the way it looked um, was kind of key for me. So this, the front cover of my book was, I kind of knew from the beginning. And so even that Mezzi, they said they don't really have a, um, a, a, anyone who sort of comes up with the idea, you know, straight mm-hmm. at the get go. And um, normally it's their designers doing it all, but I kind of had this idea and then we worked mm-hmm. with that idea to create the final product. So, um, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Going to the, the content of the book. Mm. How do you go from kind of researching or or being inspired by a recipe to developing it and then getting it down on paper? So you touched a little bit on kind of user testing, which is great through your through your Zoom classes. But mm. where does that initial spark of inspiration come from? Okay, so if, so over twenty five years, literally, I've spent a lot of time um, with my Indian. So my husband is, uh, I think I've said, I don't know if I've actually said, is actually British Indian. So I've spent a lot of time with his family. And when we gather, when we meet, we eat. So (laughs) I've I've kind of pretty much downloaded his mother completely. I know all her recipes (laughs) to the point now she's like, you're way beyond me now. You've gone, you've you've cooking even more than I can do. And the father, my father, who is also a good cook. So I, I, I watched and learned a lot there, but then also I've been obviously to India a lot, both to see family, but also to on holiday. So obviously when I go to family out there, I have at least a hundred relatives in Kolkata, for example, and I'm seeing a lot of them in every single household we go to, we get fed, but I'm always going into the kitchen, learning, watching how they're doing it. What is it called? But also just walking around the streets in Kolkata. Um, I am always trying the street food. I'm chatting to the locals. I'm finding out, you know, what do they put in this? How do they cook this? What is this? Um, and, but also when I travel on family, um, not for, not seeing family, but to actually travel, travel. Um, I'm always learning from people. I stay the chefs in hotels. Um, I, I could go and stay in homestays. Um, um, I'm always sort of going into the kitchen, even the most humble kitchen with sort of like one pot over a fire and someone's sort of over the top. You know, I would go sit with them for an hour and chat and just look and they show me and I try and I taste and I think anyone has if you're interested people love that right and so I've never really been turned away from being curious um and I always love trying it and it's it's great so I've, I've picked up a lot over the years from all of that and then whenever I try something I'm writing notes I'm scribbling things down from my travel diaries and then I make sure I come back and I try it and I try until I get it right um and then so then I got the 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 recipe then I got another recipe and so it goes on and um obviously and this is what I say actually on my classes as well so so my live classes I often take um clients on a tour of a local Asian area and we go and I show them where I buy the spices and we look all the different vegetables and fruits and I show them all these wonderful different vegetables and whilst they are fantastic and I've obviously eaten a lot of them I haven't really included many of them in my cookbook because unless you live near an Asian area the majority of people 
uh, around the world are not going to be able to cook those recipes. So mm-hmm. this is the thing with my cookbook is that I wanted the vast majority of those recipes, you'll be able to cook with things that we have certainly here in the UK. So instead of doing using things um, like uh, doody in, in the Indian vegetable, I've used sort of courgettes. So courgette curry instead of, of, of having vegetables which are quite hard to source. So, um, yeah, I've just done done that. So over, over the time, I've gathered the recipes and, um, you know, trial tested and um, constantly researching. Even now, I'm always, always learning, always wanting to try new things. And this is why I'm kind of desperate to get back to India. Um, and I've got certain places I want to visit. I want to learn how their local recipes because india is so huge everything even within the state they're doing cooking different things but also the terrain the geography um determines what kind of food they they feed the people mm. in that, that state and there are just so many recipes so i just I'm, I'm trying to take the ones that i've had and the delicious ones and sort of share it with people here um because my whole goal really um Alex, is to try and encourage people to bring a little bit of spice into their everyday lives because cooking with spice does not mean it's spicy. It means it's flavored. It, it means it's been, it's um, been, what's the word, sort of amplified. It's, it's been um, just given, uh, elevated is the word, they get, elevated to be just uh, even tastier. So just to be confident, because once you sort of begin to learn how to cook with the spices and the order with things, it all become, becomes quite simple. And you can cook really delicious, easy uh, Indian food, which is healthy, super healthy, um, often vegetarian in India, to be honest, as well. Although I have got some meat and fish in the book. Um, and and really, really reasonable. So if you're trying to feed a family on a budget, cook Indian. Cook Indian. But it, it's just learning how to use with these spices. And yes, you could say the spices cost, but I think if you do, I, I was thinking maybe you, you spend £30 and that will last you pretty much a year on your spices. That's it. And then, then you're away and you buy the lentils, you buy the vegetables, even vegetables that are turning, your, your tomatoes are turning. Um, that's not a problem because you can make a tomato chutney. You make an Indian tomato chutney and you have that. It's super easy. It doesn't matter if they're, you know, getting super soft or anything. Um, and, and, you know, if you think about the white cabbage here that we have in the UK, you know, okay, you can do slaw with it, but if you just boil it, it's pretty boring and bland, but you cook, you cook it with a few spices, it completely elevates it into something extraordinary. I think as well, a lot of the recipes in your book, and I don't want to spoil it for the listeners because I want them to go and buy their own copy. They really are a complete antidote and the way you've been describing it just now to the the kind of the older, very stereotypical view of what people who aren't familiar with Indian cooking just think that curry is. And that's your curry house that's been on the corner since the the 70s. And and actually, Mm. you're, you're right. There's some really refreshing and light dishes in the book that that go beyond that heavy sauce and meat. And I think that there probably are still people in this country, uh, especially in the older generations, mm. that might not realise that. No, absolutely. So um, it's it's interesting because I think maybe if you if you've never been to India, maybe you would think that. Indian food is the curries of, as you said, the 70s and 80s, which is always in a creamy sauce, a lot of butter, a lot of cream. Um, 
And that's, and even some restaurants now, that's not really how people eat in the home in India or in the UK who have Indian origin. So, um, so this is why I sort of wanted to have it. It's, it's very humble. It's, it's very, it's home cooked Indian food. It's what people eat every single day. And it's, it's for the large part, it is pretty healthy. Yes, there's a few fried snacks, but I think I've got one dish which has a bit of cream in it, uh, one or two, that's it. Um, but, you know, for the savouries anyway. So they don't always have to be laced in a, in a sauce. Some of them are dry. Some of the fantastic ones are dry, in fact, um, just hugely, hugely flavoursome. So um, I just wanted to just change people's mindset a little bit and giving it a go. And some people have a mindset they're willing to try and they're excited by it. And others, perhaps they're too stuck in their ways and not going to. But I, w- I want to have an audience that who is who is willing. And interestingly, certainly in the last few weeks, all my all my live classes, um, everyone has been either in their sixties or their seventies, and they have been hugely uh, excited, hugely passionate about it. And I'm just like, you have the right mindset. Cause it's down to mindset, really. And and if you just kind of poo-poo a certain um, cuisine just because of how you think it's meant to be and those who are sort of open-minded go I'm going to give it a go I'm going to give it a try and then go actually this is this is actually quite easy and it's delicious and it's healthy and it didn't break the bank so win 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 we touched on this again um, a little bit uh, just a few moments ago. Obviously, Indian food is incredibly varied. It's a huge country. And there are a lot, like with a lot of places around the world, a lot of regional differences in the the food. So imagine those people who don't really understand Indian food. Is it possible to sum up in a few sentences the cuisine? This might be a, is this a, is this a daft question? (laughs) (laughs) The the cuisine. I think, I think the way it is, not a daft question, but I think, as you say, is, is A, it's a massive continent. Um, uh, Sort of the whole Indian subcontinent is is massive. But also if you just look at the history and the way the different invaders, the people who've been there, um, and, you know, so you've got the Portuguese in Goa and you've got the French in Pondicherry and then you've got, you know, going back from um, Alexander the Great, you've got all these different influences, right? So they all have their own sort of spin on on the cuisine. But I think in a, in a couple of sentences, I would say it's it's food that um, is is just elevated with by having just a little bit of spice with very humble ingredients to create a dish that will feed many, but with 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 only a few steps. It doesn't have to be long winded and so forth. So from something quite humble, amazing things are created with a little bit of spice. Sizz. Spices as opposed to being spicy. Um, yeah, in a nutshell. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So as you write recipes from a different background and culture to the one that you mm. grew up with, I wonder if your knowledge, um, your your authority on this subject has ever been raised or challenged. For example, Fuchsia Dunlop is a white English writer, mm. but has this incredible knowledge for Chinese cuisine. Incredible. And I don't know if she's ever been questioned, but there have been well, they come up all the time, don't they? Stories with um, chefs and uh, the Bon Appetit situation that happened uh, mm. last year. And Gizzy Erskine recently came under fire, rightly so, yes. I think, in that particular instance. But yeah, um, yeah, I yeah. wonder if, if you have ever had that challenge 
No, that's a really good question. Um, huge fan of Fuchsia Dunlop, by the way, as well. She is incredible in her knowledge on Chinese. She is amazing. I love her books. So, um, yeah, so same. <laughs> question, no, I, ha- I have never. Um, but also, I don't really think I necessarily would particularly because I feel perhaps I'm slightly more legitimate than many in that I'm effectively in, almost an honorary Bengali, having married into the Bengali family, a Bengali family. Um, and um, so I kind of live in two cultures now anyway, just the way we live our lives. So sort of the Anglo-British, but also the Bengali side of things. Um, so I think from that perspective, but also I've been doing it for so long. It's not as if I've like three, four, five, ten years ago decided to just do Indian food and then become sort of knowledgeable about it. Um, it's something I've been doing for about 25 years. So even when I was working in the city, I was still very much cooking home-cooked Indian food with my husband, both doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't really been challenged at all from you know, not being legitimate, I suppose. But also I I think the way that I look at it, Alex, is more, I like to think of myself more as a bridge between East and West cuisine and trying to help people understand it perhaps a little bit more who um, perhaps don't have that knowledge. So I think of myself as the bridge between East and West and that I've sort of touched Mm -hmm. on that in the Mm -hmm. book as well. So I'm just uh, a voice piece and trying to help people understand a little bit more um i am very much i'm english british but i have a knowledge uh, that i'd like to share because i have sort of close proximity to indian or um life culture food through who i'm married to i really like that description as a bridge and yeah um there was a podcast that we recorded i can't you know i can't remember if it was earlier this year or it might have been mm. last year uh with a french lady who makes the most fantastic kimchi and oh well, I listened um, to that one. yeah cindy from korean pantry and leah who is a half korean half german food blogger who also has fed me on numerous occasions and is a fantastic cook and we were talking about the fact that there is not a problem with people cooking cuisines and and showcasing cuisines from cultures other than their own but it's about the respect and the knowledge yeah. and the time and the effort that you put into it is why no i mean i would never question your knowledge and passion and the same with someone like fuchsia dunlop but it's always a question that i like to ask in these situations mm. because unfortunately there are people who don't give other cultures the respect and then are just kind of jumping on a bandwagon and it just um so if people are interested i can link to that episode after this one as well mm. so similar thing she's kind of dedicated her life to just this love of korean food and uh, is very similar to yourself just had that seed very early on and just just loved it you know and um kind of surrounded herself with it and and subsequently has spent so many years learning and immersing herself that actually she knows her stuff (laughs) yes completely but also you've got to think in a way as well we're all such a fusion right even in this country even if we may look a certain way we're all from you know different tribes in you know whether it's i don't know vikings celts anglo-saxons etc all these different we're also mixed anyway that you know what is what is your cuisine really you know what is my cuisine really you know i I don't really know i mean yes you could say you know the standard old british fare i suppose but 
you know, we're all such an amalgamation of things that I think it's fine to kind of morph slightly as you, as you grow older and, you know, learn. And I think it's, it's okay to do that. You don't have to look a certain way to cook a certain food because that would be boring. Life would be be boring boring if you just cook just what you, in, in, you know, I grew up in Sussex, just cook Sussex food. It would be a little bit tiresome. And limited. <laughs> and I think I'd have to eat Melton Mowbray pork pies every day, Ooh. which actually, you know. <laughs> That's not bad. <laughs> might, <laughs> hmm. No, I completely agree. I, I love, I, again, like you were saying in the intro, I very much eat. Um, I travel to eat and I eat well over the last 18 months I've been eating to travel I guess <laughs> yeah. because not been able to go away yeah no totally um, and you do and I think that's mm. how I think that's what you do and I think a lot of people do you know we don't have the luxury to travel certainly at the moment and and sometimes at other times and you can pick up a book and um, or try a recipe from a country that perhaps you've never even been to but it sort of takes you almost there slightly once you've cooking and you're using all these wonderful ingredients and you make a meal and you sit down and you sort of smell it and taste it and sort of feel it and it sort of takes you there it's sort of like a whisper isn't it a sort of whisper and it takes you yes there. and I love that and I love food for that so a funny little story just an interlude is um my brother went to Georgia um with his wife a few years ago and I was absolutely animated by the food it was incredible came back to the UK and literally I think he just cooked Georgian food for about six months, <laughs> every single time that for suppers and dinners that he had, it was Georgian food, Georgian food. He was like absolutely passionate. But it's love. I love that. It's that. The, it's wonderful yeah. to have that passion. Um, and then you move on to another cuisine and dine. So no, it's great. Mm. I love that too. That's a bit like me when I first went to Korea, um, just kind of oh my gosh. cooking Korean food every single day. I think uh, Dave, my partner, used to live there and uh, work there before we met. No, and okay. I think even he was yeah. getting a bit sick of it. I've made some more kimchi. He's like, no. <laughs> uh, I love kimchi. We're Kimchi, actually pick, anything pickled, mm. um, I absolutely love. And my whole family love, actually. We're all pickle people. Yes. So I'm I would love to go person. to Korea on my, on my to-do <laughs> for sure very good for you hugely good for you yes absolutely right so imagine a listener has just purchased a copy of chili and mint what recipe should they make first this is such a hard question doesn't it it's such a hard question because it kind of depends also on how confident and comfortable they are with cooking and whether they eat meat or not so a couple of things I'm a I'm a dal junkie um, or soup junkie. I love soups and dals, and I've got a huge section about fifteen recipes of different soups and dals. So um, I would say start with something easy in my dal section, um, and certainly in it's a bit of a if if you want a bit of a pick me up, you know it's a dull, dark, rainy, stormy, cold day, you know, just the very easy peasy one. If you've never cooked anything before is my cherry tomato masseur dal on page mm. 70, 71. That is so easy. And that is actually probably the first thing I cook when I come back from a holiday anywhere, probably even from India as well. Get off the plane, come home, cook that. It's literally done and dusted. If you're going super slowly, it'll be 15 minutes, but otherwise it's done and dusted 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. And it's like a hug in a bowl. It's brilliant. And it will just make you feel lovely. So that's a nice, super easy one to start with. So I would start with that maybe. 
And then um, other ones that I'm getting feedback from a lot of people keep telling me they're making my aubergine and tamarind curry, which is really nice. Veggie one, tamarind and aubergine. Um, to um, over Christmas time, um, I think obviously people tend to eat quite a lot of heavy food, I'm guessing. So something um, quick and easy and light is my mussel mole, my South Indian mussel mole. So instead of mulmarinia, it's um, with a sort of mole in a, in a sort of um, delicious spiced coconut milk effectively. That's really nice. And also I'm a big fan of mussels and I'm quite keen that people become, certainly in the UK, more um, keen on buying mussels and eating mussels because a lot of our mussels get um, shipped uh, overseas. And it's kind of a shame because the audience in the UK are just not so into mussels and it's they're on our shores, literally just off our shores. So mussel mole is always a good one. Um, what else? All my prawn curries. I always like the prawn curries. So yesterday for my class that I was teaching, I did my Bengali, um, my Bengali prawn curry. I've got, I mean, there's quite a few Bengali ones, but it's, it's actually called Bengali prawn curry on page 130, That's super delicious and remarkably easy. So if you can do that, you'll be surprised with yourself that, my goodness, this is, this is actually pretty easy and it tastes delicious. So yeah, that's another great one. So if you did the dal and made my Bengali prawn curry, and possibly an aubergine and tamarind, you're away and then off you go. Oh, that sounds so good. I was going to say earlier that I've got prawns. I was going to make a like a chili prawn noodle salad tonight, but I might get the book out and see if I've got the ingredients for mm. for this Bengali prawn curry instead. Oh, you will. You will. The only thing that you might think, oh, have I or have I not? And you might also think, oh, it's a bit strange, is um, desiccated coconut. Do you have desiccated coconut? Oh, I do. I do. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, even if someone listening thinks, goodness me, why is she putting desiccated coconut? That sounds pretty. Why not? Fresh coconut sounds a bit <laughs> grim. But it's really, really good. It works with it. Um, and I've, I've said to put in, I think, four tablespoons, but put three and see how it is. You might just need three. So, you know, you use your own sort of sense of what you, you think. Um, but I reckon you'll have everything else. The only other thing you might not have is the Indian bay leaves, known as tejpata, which are ones that you have to source, but you can leave that out. You don't need that. And that's the sort of thing okay. with quite a few of these things you can leave out. But I, I'm guessing you have ground cumin, you have ground coriander, you have ground tur turmeric. I do. And then, and brown or black mustard seeds? I do. I do. Oh, Brilliant. Then you're there. You, and you've got tomatoes. I know you have tomatoes. So. I cannot believe that I'm still eating to tomatoes from my greenhouse. I know. Incredible. <laughs> we have a f we just have a small bowl left now. So the plants have all gone. Um, we finally cut them down. But we're so fortunate that our garden is south facing and our greenhouse has just been... We grew aubergines. We've, our greenhouse oh was so warm we had a we grew a melon we just one oh. <laughs> only one wow <laughs> so i'm just thinking so, so impressive next i mean it's too hot in there dave was kind of up painting you know this white stuff you get try and cool it down in there a bit but yeah. the tomatoes and the chilies just went bonkers so i definitely definitely have those you are very lucky because i think they're the hardest thing to grow well it's not really me i'll be honest it's dave but yeah i'll, I'll say it's me dave Dave has green fingers. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So you might have already answered this, but finally, what is your favorite dish? I don't know whether you want to say it's your favorite dish in the book or whether it's just your favorite dish to cook and eat at home. 
and I guess it's so dull. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's crazy hard because I like because I, I don't just cook Indian food. Let me just get that straight. I do cook uh, a lot of other food as well. So I love. Um, I'm going to have to say a few things. So out of the book, I love cooking Vietnamese food. Mm. So I I love everything. Um, everything in Vietnam is just wonderful on the food front there. So if, even if it's a sort of, um, lovely, um, fish fur or even a laxa, which I know is not Vietnamese, but fur or laxa is always lovely. Um, and then the band sao, which is what they have for breakfast, those rice, crispy rice pancakes that they have in Vietnam. I love mm. all that. Um, and also uh, away from that, I love, um, bula base. So homemade bula base at home is wonderful. So that's great. But from the book, um, cause obviously I do cook a lot of these, um, I do love all of them. That's why they're in there. But um, on the meat front, I love actually the Chetanad pepper chicken. I love pepper. So the pepper chicken is always really good. Um, and um, what else? I've said about the prawns, haven't I? Um, I love a good egg curry. You know, egg curries are good. But the dolls, yeah. Dill dal. I love dill dal. It's a bit different. Mm. Um, and actually, tukpa, that's quite nice. Have you ever had Himalayan chicken tukpa? Uh, no. Um, thukpa. So thukpa, tukpa is actually meaning heart. It's a heart warming soup, a bowl of heart warming soup, and it's with chicken and noodles and um, lime and Sichuan peppercorns, which I love. Um, it's sort of up in the Himalayas. So you're going to have that up near towards Darjeeling and beyond. So that's actually rather lovely as well, something quite warming. But I find soups generally, I'm a huge fan of anything soupy is very warming and happy food so oh fantastic oh you're just making me hungry I feel like yeah, I could just make myself hungry now <laughs> just record a bit of me saying oh that's making me hungry and then just infill it on every episode that I record <laughs> but no thank you so much for joining me your book is absolutely beautiful the photography the cover that you already had in mind for all those years it's a really vibrant gorgeous book um and i'm thank so you. chuffed to have a copy on my shelf it was my sister bought me it for my birthday so i i know that it will um do well and oh. if people are looking for something to spend their christmas money on or you know to fancy yes. a treat then i definitely recommend that they they treat themselves to a copy yeah well water waterstones and all over actually everywhere any good independent bookshop and actually any independent that isn't stocking it ask them to and they will <laughs> they'll easily get hold of it but, um yeah that's great well nice nice chatting to you as well yeah Alex. fantastic thank you so much no problem thank you thank you for having me <laughs>